Hey, I'm Matt Stradley. This is John Williams. Thanks for joining us on the preseason edition of the Bulldog Breakdown. John, we got some exciting action coming up with Bulldog Madness. I'm super excited. You sound super excited. Uh, it's coming up Tuesday, October 22nd, <laughs> 6 to 7.30, right there at the Kimmel Arena. My favorite price. Free. You know that's right. Community event featuring giveaways, food, tickets, t-shirts. Uh, first chance to pick up your season tickets. If you've ordered them, and if you, if you haven't, I, I wonder what the holdup is, because if, if you have a little one, like I know you do and you know I do. Of course. You get that season ticket package, it comes with one for the little one. Mm-hmm. Introduce them to the game and tell you what, what a year it will, it's going to be yeah. to have a child fall in love with the sport, because there's going to be some exciting basketball on it's the floor. It's definitely going to be an interesting time for the game of basketball in the Asheville area. I think that... The kids, I mean, you'll see soon. I mean, we'll see a bunch of kids on Education Day. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, again absolutely. Too. That's always but, fun. Oh, my goodness. It's you so bringing fun. your bounce house? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I may bring them. I mean, those kids can enjoy that. I don't know if they can fit in here. Yeah. But, you know, we'll have to see how that goes at some in, point. In a future Bulldog Breakdown, I want to break down how you became the owner in 19 bounce houses. We'll get to that at some point in the future. Um, we're talking about the excitement on the floor. And, and there's a lot to go around. One of, uh, one of my favorite topics, of course, is the women's team and the, come, the, the redshirt senior year of Sonora Denote. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a fantastic season for Sonora. One of the things that I do in the summertime is I get to travel around and meet college coaches in the Big South and SoCon. And everybody knows who Sonora Denote is. She's a household name all over the state. And so one of the things, once a couple of them, a couple of them didn't know she was coming back at the time. And when they found out she was coming back, I just saw, I mean, ghostly looks of, again, I got to deal with her. Because she is a cold-blooded killer. Media day coming up for the Big South. They haven't announced any all-conference teams, but I would be surprised if she's left off that list. You must be crazy if she's not left. That is crazy. She's such a force. Uh, a dynamic game. Yeah. Um, tell, if, if you're breaking down her game, let's say you're an opposing coach, tell me what you see. Ice cold. That's what she does. I mean, she's fantastic at getting downhill. She can drive with both right or left hands, and she gets in that mid-range area, which is a lost art, um, lower percentage because people don't practice it anymore. But she shoots from a high clip in the mid-range area, which is hard to guard because once she can get by anybody off the dribble from the three-point line. But then... She also has a contingency once she gets into that lane. And so most of the time, as a coach, you are guarding either the three-point line or the paint. So Nora knows how to score in between that. She knows how to score at the basket. And so she, she makes it very difficult going downhill um, to, to guard. And so most teams don't really have an answer for that based on the model that they teach defensively. And so that's why she's such a problem. And then also, if she gets going, good luck. I mean, really, the only way for Sonora to not get going is she's in her own head, which is rare. Um, and so when she does get going, I mean, good luck. You just got to throw different bodies at her. You got to throw two people at her. I've seen people throw two people at her, and she still gets busy on them. And so um, she's going to have a year, um, another final year under the system, a chip on her shoulder, um, unfinished business that they felt they should have settled last year. And uh, she wants to end on a good note as a leader for this UNC Asheville Bulldogs program. And this is a program that is hers as a captain this year. Last mm -hmm. year, 
a little bit of shared ownership of the of that leadership with mm-hmm. with Jessica Wall, and they had two very different leadership styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Jessica Wall was kind of cool, calm, collected. Um, let her game do the talking. Um, fantastic shooter. So obviously, she's a little different than Sonora because Sonora, she's not shooting from beyond that arc unless you know uh, she's being pushed to because she's so so dynamic at getting downhill. She knows her strength. Um, but Jessica Wall was one of those players that if you gave her any semblance of daylight, it's going up and it's going in. And so she will be missed on the Bulldog team, but uh, it gives a lot of freedom for Sonora to really mold this team and mold the culture into what she would like it to be or for this upcoming season. Potential conference player of the year? I think so. I'm going to go ahead and make that bold statement now. I think she's got it. Um, especially if she stays healthy. I mean, last year she was on her way to that before she broke her ribs. And she was about to, I mean, every single time we would come in and call those games, we were excited. What do you think she's going to do this time? And she always surprised us. We were like, there's nobody stopping her this game. And then she got hurt. And when she got hurt, um, it's it's always hard to get back into a rhythm after you've missed practices, uh, film, games, and um, it's hard to get back in the rhythm because the team has created a rhythm without her for a bit. And so it was hard for her to adjust back into that. And so we didn't really get to see the full potential of Sonora Danook that um, we're hoping to see this year. Fantastic article on her at uncabulldogs.com that delves a little bit into her, her backstory, her mm-hmm. personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the red shirt year she took mm-hmm. where she had a beautiful baby boy mm-hmm. that's going to be turning two towards the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Motherhood does not seem to have softened her much. I don't think motherhood softens a lot of a lot of moms, to be honest with you. It teaches you that you can do absolutely anything that you want. I mean, I was there when my when my, my daughters were born and I was completely taken aback at how powerful, how strong the woman is. And Sonora, um, to be able to come back from that um, in such a short amount of time and then dominate in the big south um, that's that is that is unheard of and so for her to be able to do that for her to be able to come back for her senior year and show her son uh, that anything is possible is just a testament to the type of person that she is and the type of player that she is and it seems that she pr- approaches every aspect of her life with that competitive spirit that drives her in basketball. Oh man, she is such a competitor. Like, I mean, I assume um, even after she is done with basketball here, I mean, it's not gonna, she's not gonna let it go. She's gonna be involved with it some way, somehow. And um, her competitive spirit is contagious. I mean, you start to see it in the other players on the team, um, what she demands from her players, from her teammates, what what, uh, the coaching staff demands from her. And she delivers every single time. Sonora, clearly the focal point of this women's team moving forward. Some of the other players, Nadiria Evans is really, of course, one of my favorite players, just the tenacity on defense mm. from last season. What have you seen from her, and what do you think she'll she'll look like this season? Well, um, Nadiria is one of my favorites as well. Simply, she she has the similar mentality as Sonora, which is she's a leader. She's going to be a leader. She's vocal. She talks. 
Um, she also has a standard that she is going to be asking out of her teammates and some of the newcomers that are coming on in that team that make it easier to adjust to the culture and create that longstanding success that the Bulldogs have had in the past. And so Nadiria is going to be a catalyst uh, to the next wave of youngsters coming up in the Bulldog um, nation. So Nadiria's ability to obviously create offense from her defense, I mean, it's it's unheard of to get steals like she gets like in the way she gets it I mean if you look at the stat sheet she may she may have a couple but how she got them is just disrespectful like you're dribbling the ball up the floor she's right there on you and most people if you're a college player you are not letting somebody just pick your pocket I've seen Adiria do it three times in a row to cause a coach to call a timeout fuss that player out and then the person comes back on the floor and she does it again and so how disrespectful is that? I mean, it's really, real to get your pocket picked so many times and not have an answer for it, it's because she is that well of a defender. And so when you see players like her uh, impact the game defensively and then create on offense, and she's a pit bull going downhill, very similar to Sonora, once she gets going, you cannot stop her. And she's so athletic like that she can just jump over anybody. And so just watching her, um, watching her growth and watching her um, be, a, be a more vocal player on the team now that her number is being called, it's going to be fun to watch this year. A couple of the other guards that I expect to be contributing, and I think you expect to be contributing as well, Corpening and Scott. Mm-hmm. I think Amir Corpening is going to be asked to take a more facilitating role this year as far as getting the team calm. There were certain times in the games last year where – you know, you know those times where things go awry, everything's going wrong, and you got to figure out a way to stop the run or stop the bleeding um, for, that the other team is imposing. And so, one of the things that I think Amir is going to have to be is that person that calms the troops down, gets everybody going as far as um, flowing offensively, setting a tone on defense, and doing and being the eyes and ears that her coach needs her to be. A couple of the super sophomores that contributed well last year, Ivana McGill and Jamisha Lawson. Yeah, McGill is going to be a problem too, I think. One of the things that Coach Mock does a great job of is developing post-play. Ivana McGill's 6'2". I mean, she's got long arms. She's got a great drop step. And when I came into the gym a few times, I'd see her working on her hook shot. And so those are the things that you have to be able to develop to be a successful big in the Big South. And so I think with her size already being as imposing as it is in the Big South, one of the things that she's developing is that short baby hook shot, but also her drop set was already there. So she can get that little shimmy going. She's going to be a problem down there in that paint, but also her ability to deflect shots and alter uh, offense. Uh, one of the things that you do is when you drive and you see somebody coming into that lane or going or in that lane like Ivana McGill, you second guess yourself. It second guesses your shot. It creates more opportunities for the for the defense to get rebounds and get going in the offense. And so, um, you know, she's going to be asked a lot um, to to take on some more roles regarding the defensive offensive standpoint for the Bulldogs. We'll talk about a couple of, of freshmen, and there are five to choose from. Um, but I think between Faith Adams and Kai Carter, that might be the answer to some of the who do we dip to to give our starters, our, our immediate players a rest. What have you thought of them? 
I think uh, Faith is going to be asked to do a lot of facilitating, very similar to a Mary Corpening, um, where she'll be able to get her teammates involved, but also she's deadly from the three, where she'll be able to knock down a shot and also knock down some pocket shots uh, once she gets into screen and roll actions. And so you got to look for her to be able to impact the game as a freshman um, right away. And Brenda is is known to throw those freshmen in the fire from time to time. We've seen it over and over again to get them prepared for conference play. And so I'd see a lot from her. I'd see a lot from Kai Carter, who is very good at at, um, finishing in that mid-range area as well, getting downhill. Um, She's long. She's imposing. uh, So expect a lot from her on the defensive standpoint as well. And so uh, both of those freshmen should be able to impact the game uh, right away as long as they fall, fall in line to the system that Coach Mock Kirkpatrick has set in store. We'll dip into Coach Mock Kirkpatrick here in just a second because she is very close to a big milestone here mm-hmm. at UNC Asheville. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit. You mentioned three-point shooting, and that's something that the Bulldogs lost with Jessica Wall last season was a great three-point shooter. To stretch that defense – this is mm-hmm. one of the best mid-range shooting teams I've seen in a very long time. But who who's going to have to step up behind the line? Zip. Zip Scott, definitely. And one of the things that um, she has been doing is always shown the ability to knock down the three. I think she got in her head a little bit last year, but then came alive at the – that at during conference play and playoffs and um, where she was able to knock down that three a little bit more. And that's what's going to be asked of her this year as well is to be able to spread the defense by showing that there are three-point opportunities that they can make. If you do just have, you know, people that get downhill, finish in the mid-range, and like I said, you can you can cater any defense you want to a Sonora Danuk or a Nadiria Evans and – they're still going to go and get the buckets. It just might be a little harder um, to make things a little bit easier for the team. You're going to need players like Zip Scott to be able to knock down that three ball, um, like Faith Adams to be able to knock down that three ball, and so just to spread the defense out so that there are opportunities for the for the rest of the team to do what their specialty is. Now, also because UNC Asheville is considered a, one of the bigger teams. Um, you know they're going to be able to make their make their difference down low in that paint area. Those are higher percentage shots, but the defense is going to try their best to stop those high percentage shots by making sure that they create opportunities for low percentage shots like threes. Threes are just lower percentage. I mean everybody knows that. And so when you do get those opportunities, in order to make the defense play honest, those three point shots need to be made. I, I hear you say everyone knows that. Um... And I ask if you've ever been to Golden State Warriors uh, game because I don't know that everyone knows that a three-point shot is a lower percentage shot, or maybe they don't care. I don't think they care. Okay. I think <laughs> I think Golden State's process has always been shoot first, ask questions later. Mm-hmm. Um, they work their tails off to be really good at that. I mean, I think that a lot of their regiments are catered to that, and so they have created a system that has been successful in the past few years um, that um, – that has get, gave them some championships. But if you look at the majority of the league, not everybody can do that. Right. you got to have the right pieces in order to do that. And if you don't, you better change that system up and then uh, work on going big, big boy basketball. And so when you look at – we're looking at the Lakers. Sure. That's, that's big boy basketball. That is, that is big boy basketball. It so, is. Um, and it's working. Um, and we'll see how the, the season goes. But – 
Um, going back traditional, it seems to be a turning tide in the NBA. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I know we digressed a little <laughs> bit there. but we, we tend to. I just think it's fantastic that the Golden State Warriors give hope to, to everyone like me who's just bad at math that you can find a path by, by blindly stumbling into something that works. Well, I, they, <laughs> I don't know if it's blind. I mean, they put in a lot of work to knock down those shots. Oh, now, yeah. um, there's also some natural ability that comes with that. But um, you hope that, you know, kids aren't in their backyards just out here just firing up mm-hmm. um, missiles when you got to start in and work your way out. I mean, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, both of those guys shoot hundreds and hundreds of shots close to the basket to work their way out to get the field, to be able to knock down those threes. And so it starts somewhere, and I think um, what can happen is kids will skip that that initial process and just work their way back there and then trying to figure out why am I sitting on the bench because I've only hit one three out of out of eight, and coach isn't going to let you shoot more than that, so your time is up. <laughs> to bring you back to the, the, the Bulldogs women's team, because I, I find this discussion fascinating, uh, Snor Danook's not a spot shooter. She doesn't try to get to her spots and knock down the shots. She can knock it down from just about anywhere in the mid-range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, they're difficult shots sometimes. I mean, they're not difficult for her because she works on that shot. You ever seen that clip of Patrick Ewan uh, snapping on one of his uh, Georgetown players, uh, asking, like, do you – have you ever taken that shot? Right. Do you work on that shot? What makes you think I'd let you take that shot? Right. I've never seen you work on that shot. Just destroying this kid. Mm-hmm. Now – Sonora takes some shots that you usually don't see taken in the Big South, but the reason being is because she works on that shot. I've seen her rep and rep and rep on her one dribble, two dribble pull-ups, pump faking, pivoting pull-ups, and the reason why she's scoring at such a high clip at a, at a good percentage is because she works on that shot, uh, on those shots. And so her mid-range ability to, to dribble, find spaces, based on how the defender's guarding her, and then actually finish the shot is what makes her such a difference maker in the whole conference itself and in women's basketball. Absolutely. She's one of my favorite players to watch, uh, just her athleticism and her fearlessness in taking those shots. As If I step away from when I cover the games and mm-hmm. I just I look at it, as a, at it as a fan, mm-hmm. it's a fun style of basketball to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, It reminds me of my childhood when you watch Jordan, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to get to those spots to you couldn't you couldn't stop Jordan from getting to his sweet spots and scoring. And even when you did push him out of that spot, there was other ways for him to get to him. Um, And so you think about Kobe, Kobe's ability to get to the mid range, get to his spots and find the shots that um, were high percentage for him. Um, and it's just very difficult to get her out of her sweet spots because she has so many in that mid-range area. And so, uh, I mean, the only way you can really um, do it is by doing a lot of scout and then trying to cater in, in a defense to just focus on her, which you shouldn't do because UNC Asheville has so many more weapons than, on that team that can that can hurt you. Head coach Brenda Mott-Kirkpatrick uh, entering her seventh season. Mott-Kirkpatrick Brown. Yes. I just thought about that. No, you're right. Shout out to Coach Mock. Get uh, married out here. Big time. So but this is this is this team has really kind of become a family based on how they reacted to Sonora Danook and her situation with having yeah. the, the beautiful little boy. Um 
I don't know that a lot of teams necessarily would have reacted the way the um, coach Mark Kirkpatrick and the Bulldogs reacted. She reacted like a champion, man. Yeah, like I think. I, so I saw them downtown. We were in downtown Asheville. They had some recruits in town, and they were doing some kind of scavenger hunt. It's pretty cool. Like I don't know if I can, you know, dive in how cool their their recruiting is as far as how they how they bring kids in and then they get them interacted with the city and so that you can get the full taste of what Asheville's about but they had them going and there was some kind of festival going on and coach had the carriage she was pushing uh Sonora's son and they all I mean it's a family there that that boy is growing up around basketball, which I love because he's going to be, if he decides to be a hooper, he's going to be a killer like his mom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he's embedded into it as one of the, as one of the members. Um, and it was just cool for me to see like coach Mott Kirkpatrick Brown um, pushing um, Sonora's son, speaking to the parents of the recruits while doing that and talking about everything that UNC Asheville is about. It was a, it was a great moment. And a moment that I think is is fairly unique, the way that this team has adapted and molded, um, I think has made them better. Definitely. I mean, there, there's when you have a, a family atmosphere where there's no secrets, where there's no judgment, where they take you as you are, that makes it a lot easier to buy into the culture because you see what your coach is actually about. You see that they're for you and not for them. Um, and they are going to do everything in their power to make sure that you are successful in life after your tenure is done at, at UNC Asheville. And I, there's a reason why, you know, Coach Mock's alum continue to support, continue to show love, continue to watch. It's because of the culture that she's created since she's gotten here and the, the lasting impacts that she has put on all of these young women who are now in the working world and using the, the, the tools and the nuggets that she has given them um, to move forward in life. It's awesome. And the intangibles are clearly what make the Bulldogs special. Yeah. Let's look at the tangibles. Um, postseason play, four straight years. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one spectacular season away from setting the all-time winningest women's basketball coach at UNC Asheville. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good resume for seven years in. It is. And, um, you know, Coach Mott came in right after I graduated. Um, and women's basketball was really in a rebuilding stage. And out of the seven years that she's been here, you know, three conference championships, like that's that's tough, especially in a very competitive Big South. Um, and she's been able to do that Honestly, when you're starting in, starting recruiting from scratch, you're at a disadvantage. So you're doing a lot more with less. And she was able to do a lot more with less. And it just shows her coaching ability to develop and build up and help young women reach their full potential, which is how she's been able to win so many times and make it to the postseason so many times. It's because of her approach, her process uh, to, to developing and growing and teaching a winning mentality to all the young Bulldogs that are coming in. And not to excuse it, there was one year where she had three players tear an ACL. That was a jinxed team, so much so that their play-by-play guy tore his ACL that same season. I heard about that. It was just a a jinxed from an injury standpoint. 
I don't know how I got involved with it. I yeah. don't even, I, I spent, and, and so everybody's done their work. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, brief Gerald who was one of the graduating seniors from two years ago. And then you yeah. have Tiffany Wilson yep. from last year, mm-hmm. um, who had two knee surgeries. She did a she year did. and a half out from the game. So this Bulldogs team to me speaks of a group that gives and is available to people who want to work their way back and give second chances. Yeah. Uh, One thing is, is I think that's a part of coach Mock's vetting, which is how can, can you deal or how resilient are you? Can you deal with turmoil? Can you deal with strife? And if you can, we're going to help you get through it. Um, I think a lot of that comes with the type of players that she recruits. She recruits young women with chips on their shoulders. I mean, real chips. And so um, that felt that they got something to prove. And so even when, you know, you see a lot of ACL tears from young women in the game of basketball where they're just like, I'm done. Uh, not Coach Mott's uh, players. They, if something happens, if somebody gets injured, it's it's not, well, I guess that's it. No, it's, well, what's next? How do we get back? And so um, – a lot of that's her coaching, but a lot of that's also her recruiting. She does a fantastic job of bringing the right player for her programs. When you talk about the recruiting, when you talk about uh, that family attitude, uh, Coach Biedenbach recruited you, correct? Yeah. What was your recruiting like, and what drew you ultimately to UNC Asheville? Honestly, um, UNC Asheville was actually my third choice. We're going to keep it 100. Okay. Um, I had first committed to – um, VCU under Jeff Capel, but Jeff Capel ended up getting another job. And then um, I was near commitment to UNC Wilmington, which was recruiting me heavy. And UNC Wilmington, Coach Brownell, um, was leaving for Clemson. So then um, I was planning to take visits to uh, Radford, uh, UNCG, and UNC Asheville. UNC Asheville found a way to get it first. And when I got on that campus and I really just, you know, got to meet the players, um, I got to meet, <laughs> I got to meet um, the, not the, not the students as much, but the, the supporting cast like Janet Cohn. Right. Um, I got to meet Rebecca Nelms Kyle, um, people that, and I got to meet Do- Dr. Yura, who's retired now, uh, who was my advisor. Um, sitting in on classes and just really understanding. Um, and that's what Coach B talked about was creating success after basketball, which really intrigued me. Um, and um, really just um, that family atmosphere that he created on my visit was enough for me to just say, I got to do this. I got to go with him. And um, I love the coaching staff. And um, we were able to create something special with them. And so – um, big shout out to Eddie, who uh, half of the time doesn't return my calls when he comes to Asheville. But you know he's he's still my guy though. <laughs> shout out to my guy who doesn't call me back. Um, <laughs> what's interesting to me uh, in 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 the way that you got here and your experience was yeah. that it was. I think everyone searches for something different because everybody is different, um, yeah. but they all love the same sport. Uh, it's just what you want. Every, every university is a little bit different. Yeah. What they offer, the way that they approach basketball. Yeah. Uh, your team, not to digress too much from our chosen topics, which are the, the the men and women who are playing right now, but your team was was an interesting team. 
yeah. the, the, the four years that you played, um, you saw everything from the inside of Cameron to the inside of the Dean Smith Center mm-hmm. to, I mean, you've been some places uh, through basketball and then beyond the walls of, of UNC Asheville with the Globetrotters. So yeah. basketball has, has carried you on quite a journey. Yeah, yeah, it, it really has. And like I said, um, it's, a, it's a testament to how I was brought up in um, the game, especially in college, um, as far as how to treat people. And Coach B was um, a catalyst of that as far as how you worked with others, how you treated people, how you competed, um, how you walked on and off the court. Um, and that helped transition, you know, moving forward after college to the professional sector. Um, no matter what you do, if you if you play collegiate sports, you, um, your percentages go up as far as working in the real world because you do know how to work with others. You do know the understanding of a deadline and uh, competition. And so you, that was awesome for me um, and an awesome experience for me to be able to, you know, take what I learned in college and travel, you know, to 50 different countries and all 50 states and be able to play play basketball and have fun and be kicked out of Bolivia for breaking a basketball goal. Yeah, it was Ecuador. <laughs> it was Ecuador, and it was two of them. Broke one in practice, broke one in practice, and then I broke one in uh, in the game. And so we actually ended up having to play half court because another one of my teammates broke another goal after our coach said, "Don't hang on the rim." And this cat's seven foot two, like two hundred and eighty five pounds. What's like, he need to hang on the rim for? He can just. He touch wanted it. to do it because I did it. <laughs> jerk <laughs> and so you went half court so we had to play half court because hey man those people paid for a game how does a fast break work in half court uh, it was just pretty much just bring it back out check it up and um and then and then go again but yeah it was weird so it people was, bought tickets to a ymca uh lunchtime you know what they game. had a good time watching okay. those goals break <laughs> I, I tell you what they had a great time did you have a did you have a bill at the end no, they had a bill because I was bleeding. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, you got to pay for that. And right. I was a little shaky about going and getting stitched up in Ecuador. Sure. So, you know, you. Well, the you, scar looks ne- nearly healed, so it's fine. Man, it's fine now. I mean, I mean, it's they're gone. I mean, but at the same time, it's it's not convenient to be cut up by some glass that you don't know where it came from in a foreign country. Sure. And, you know. It just was a little shaky. Are you allowed to go back to Ecuador? Do you know? I'm sure I am. I mean, I, I actually had a pretty good fan base after that. Like, uh, they, they, I think they liked me. And they the, were, the John Williams Ecuador. They called fan me. Club. They called me Jet, and it, it was with a soft J, so it was Yet. <laughs> Ooh, Yet. I like that. Yep. So, very soft J. We'll have to go back to Ecuador and, and, and meet up with that fan club at some point. Yeah, I mean, the cool if you're thing, lo- if you're allowed, the cool back thing in. about Ecuador too, man, like they just had fruit on the trees, like that was fantastic. Like you don't go starving up in there, man. Like you could just pull. They were called um, granadillas. They were like you know what a pomegranate is, right? Yeah. So when you open up these granadillas, instead of pomegranate seeds, they're like citrus seeds, and they were delicious. I was pulling them off everywhere. I was having baskets full when I take walks around our little campus that we were in, and. Oh my goodness, they were so delicious, and I can't find them anywhere, anywhere. We gotta go back to Ecuador, man. I guess. Hey, you, I think you just found your new business. Uh, you'll have the importing uh, exporting yeah. importing exporting of uh, grenadillas. Yes. Okay. 
So that we'll just put that, add that to the list of, of accomplishments for John Williams. Um, would you have played for the current coaching staff at UNC Asheville, do you think? Oh, heck yes. Would so have loved it. What draws you to, because I know, uh, just in our conversations off to the side, I know you're a huge fan of Coach Morrell and his coaching staff that he's acquired. I love Mike and what he's been doing is because he is – and it's hard, especially with men's basketball, to to start a new culture and to to build onto something that is already successful. It really is. And so he, he has been a stickler for accountability and making sure that those guys know, like, he's he's an awesome recruiter, but more than that, he's an awesome coach. And he tells those guys, like, listen, do you want a friend or do you want to be coached? Because if I coach you, I can get you to your full potential. And that's one of the things that he has been doing and working night in and night out to make sure that his guys are going to be ready, uh, not just for you know the season, not just for basketball, but moving forward in life because um, he has set, been such an impact on these young men's lives. And so I think that as a person – Mike is what sold, that was what sold me first about Mike and then the X's and O's and what he's been able to do with uh, the resources given and uh, the timeliness and the manner that he had to kind of jump in and hit the hit the ground running. Um, I think he's handled it uh, tremendously well. Nick McDevitt, the previous coach, leaving and it's a really young team. Last year's team, the youngest in the NCAA in at least the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it's that's hard to deal with, especially if it's it's not like you just graduated a ton of seniors and uh, these freshmen and now you got a bunch of freshmen coming in like he was finding guys and bringing in guys uh, even when um, and going into the summertime. So it had to be tough because, you know, you don't know what you're about to get yourself into. And so um, I thought that he did a really good job of making sure that the guys stayed grounded even after a tough season. Um, and they seem to be even more together than they were last year. And last year they were together. And so he did a really good job of making sure that that, that, that accountability factor that he's focusing on so much continues uh, to move forward into the season. It's a very young team that's now a year older. They lost um, Jonathan Bear to Clemson. They lost – Macy O.T. to to, um, Baylor. Baylor. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see how both of them are doing this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Jonathan Bear, I think he hurt himself recently. Um, Or didn't he? It's hard to tell with the facial hair. Yeah, I mean, he looks like uh, almost a man now. Um, (laughs) When we first got him, you remember, man. I do. He was very very fresh-faced, very young He was baby-faced. He was. He looks like he's, you know. Went up a mountain and grown a beard. And so he's – but I, I think he should be able to be a, a major impact for Clemson uh, when he's healthy. And uh, Macy Oteague has also uh, been causing storms at, for Baylor. And I think if he's not a uh, starter, he's going to be one of those guys that come off the bench and make an immediate impact mm-hmm. just because of his game. Everybody knew it. You saw it. I mean, it was so um, – translatable to the next level. Really I mean, Maceo is going to be a pro. Oh, I and there's no so doubt too. in my mind. He yeah, won. I think so too. Quietly in the flow of the offense scored 30 one night. I was like, we really haven't heard that much from Maceo T. I looked down at the scoreline. He's put up 30. Yeah. And then he had games where he would just 
score 30 and it was in your face like it's just like uh, three 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 step back jumper one dribble pull up get into the basket finish with contact I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Let that marinate. With that old bay. Let that sizzle in your spirit. With that paprika. All the accoutrement. So again, the mm-hmm. co- conference preseason, yep. uh, first and second teams not announced yet. I does Baker is is there any way Baker's not on that list? I think Devon made a strong case last year. Um, you know, being being the freshman of the year, I mean, coming back and being able to set a set a was he freshman of the year? He should have been. No, he was all freshman team. Yes, that's what it was. But, you know, being one of those guys that made such an impact on in a tough year. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, you think about Devon's progress last year and his production, it's going to double this year because he has help. One of the things that you notice is Devon was exhausted last year. He'd, he'd play almost the entire game. He's having to be the floor general. He's having to do the scoring. He's having to defend some of the best players. I mean, he was exhausted. And it's good because he's a freshman. Um, you can you can work some of those miles onto him. But at the same time, it definitely hurt them when it came to crunch time. And if you notice, a lot of the UNCA was in a lot of close games that were winnable. But he struggled because his legs weren't there. His shot was a little short. And I don't think that's going to happen because now he's got help on that team. But that's not atypical of a freshman to tire as, especially conference play, gets into full swing and then towards the end of conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, significantly longer schedule, significantly higher energy output than high school. Yeah, yeah. And you got to think about this. I mean, he came in as a freshman just putting in those types of numbers, those types of minutes, and eventually it's going to wear down on you. Um, and I know Mike, if he could, would have rested him. But the bench was, at this point um, – it wasn't much on there that could help. And so he had to just make do with what he could and um, keep his effective players on the floor as long as he could um, with with Devon and Cody. Everyone adapts to the college game at different levels. Uh, yeah. This team was demanded adaptation almost immediately yeah. out of necessity. Yeah, they had no choice. When you came in and you saw the speed of play, and mm-hmm. you, I think everybody goes from being like the man yeah. on the team, or at least one of the top yeah. two, yeah. to being surrounded by people on your team who are generally as good as you. Yeah. And you're going against competition who is generally as good as you. Yeah. What's that transition like? It's a difficult one. I remember like in high school, my senior and junior year, like it was just so easy to score. I was averaging like 25, 30. And it would just, it was easy to go by people. Like, heck, you could, I could break a zone by myself, you know, it, because it's just, you're different. Everybody on this team was, is, is one of those different people in high school. And so when they get to college and you, you're playing against yourself, that little first step that you got, and you're noticing, wow, that didn't work. My stuff isn't working. And so then you got to figure out ways. And that's that's a part of the process of being a freshman is figuring out um, what you can and can't do very quickly 
Um, because if you don't figure it out quickly, you're going to be on the bench because coach demands a lot out of you right away, even as a freshman, um, because there's expectations for you to come in as a freshman. If, you know, usually you have somebody that you're playing behind, but if, if something was to happen, then you better be prepared to jump in and, and fill those shoes. And so I think it's always a tough transition because I remember going in as a freshman in the summer school and I'm thinking, I should be able to get by everybody. I could not get by anybody. And I was like, I mean, there was guys like Joe Barber, who's 6'9", 6'10", uh, slow as molasses. But I was just like, he'd put that forearm on me. And I was like, man, that's man strength. I didn't know what man strength was. That is man strength. I cannot move. And he is seven foot. And I know in a foot race, I'd blow him out. Right. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with man strength and man will. You're just not going to let anybody go by. And so you figure that out once you um, once you get there and then say, well, I guess I'm being held accountable now. Let me go ahead and do things the right way in order to get the ball in the basket and let me make sure that I don't mess up on defense and, and be in the right place. So I limit the – you're going to get yelled at no matter what, but limit the amount of times that you do get fussed out by the coach so you're not in that doghouse. So when you say fussed out, I think that the way a lot of coaches approach it, there's there's certainly coaches out there who do, you know, and I know every player's different, but the, the the more coddling approach where, you know, the more, I guess, emotionally supportive. But I think a lot of coaches see it as you're here because you're good. Yeah. Now take me through a coach's mentality. When you're getting on a player, it's not to make them feel bad mm-hmm. necessarily. But but why why would a coach – What's a coach's purpose? What's a coach's mindset when they're getting onto a player? It is to rectify the situation quickly. I mean, immediately. Let's not make that mistake again because at the end of the day, these college coaches are paid to do their job. It is their job to get that get that team better. And if they're not doing their job, guess what? Somebody else comes in. And so there is a sense of pressure. There is a sense there is a need that has that he has to get that player or she has to get that player to their potential in order for them to maintain and stay where they want to be at. And so yeah, I think that a lot of that's the factor because it's their job to get you better. It'd be different if it was just some rec league or or high school play where there aren't the stakes aren't as high, but at in college there's an expectation and a level um, they brought you in to be able to reach your potential because they think they can help you there. And if you don't, it's on them. And so, you know, you got to make sure that when you do get yelled at, you understand that a lot of it is for your own good. You got to understand that you are trying to um, help this team and, and you were, every team member is a piece. And if one of those pieces is off or one of those pieces aren't being held accountable, the whole puzzle breaks. And so in order for this to happen, you got to get fussed at. You got to get yelled at. You got to you got to understand why. And I think that's where you get that's where people get confused at. Oh, he's getting on them. No. Most of the time the players respond very well is because they understand the why. All right. If you understand the why, you're going to be it's going to be different. You understand that they are doing it for the betterment of the team. And if you've bought into the culture, you you adjust quickly. Um, wipe it off your shoulders, and then get back in there and make sure that you don't make the mistake again. You also said a lot of these kids come in, the, the, the coaches, these two coaches specifically recruit players with chips on their shoulder. Yeah. Um, 
when you have a chip on your shoulder and somebody's barking at you, mm -hmm. that that chip doesn't allow you to kind of back off and kind of yeah. to kind of cower down. Yeah. That yeah. that chip tells them, all right, we'll show them. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think if you are a player who you know has something to prove and you know that that coach knows that you have something to prove, all they're going to do is all they're doing is trying to help you prove the naysayers wrong. Um, and the thing about Mike is Mike's one of, Mike was one of those players with a chip on his shoulder, so he understands. And so he he coaches that way. He coaches with a chip on his shoulder. And so it's, it, it's only right that – and I think that that's when you see – when you see him coach, he's coaching with the understanding and with the love that those guys know that he's given. And so it's received well and properly. I saw him have a, a conversation with a player last year during mm -hmm. uh, a practice mm -hmm. where the player said something under his breath. And he says, we don't say things under our breaths. Yeah. We talk to each other. We're a family. Yeah. And that struck me. That always yeah. struck me as we're going to communicate. Yeah. And if you have something to say, I'm, I'll listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, uh, I think I was there. Oh, you we, were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I mean, when you start having whispers and mumbles and things of that nature, it only will create um, a domino effect from there. So Mike's a kind of guy that takes things head on where he's just, okay, if we got an issue, let's go ahead and get it out. Um, we're family. Families work out issues, and then they move forward. Because at the end of the end of the day, there's a common goal. And in order for us to reach that common goal, we got to get all the little hiccups out of the way, uh, so that we're all on the same page. And I think that's what he does, and that's what he does well. Let's talk about the two transfers coming in mm. from the men's team. You mm -hmm. have Lavar Bats, the transferring. He'll be coming in as a, a sophomore, and then Jax, who's coming in. Jax Levich, that is, uh, coming in as a redshirt junior mm -hmm. uh, to uh, ACC transfers. Mm -hmm. What are you expecting out of them this year? Well, LeVar um, is definitely the floor general that UNC Asheville needed last year, I think, as far as helping. Uh, he would have been a great help to a guy like LeVar Betts. I mean, a guy like Devon Baker, who was working to find his way in that game. And I think his mentorship has been really good. Um, with um, Devon and also uh, Trent and AJ and those other guards that they have. And um, I think LeVar's leadership abilities, I mean, he's vocal. He's a great kid. I mean, he t he'll talk to anybody. I, lo I love that about him. And um, he's cordial. He's one of the guys that handles most of the hostings when you have recruits come in. And um, the reason being is because um, he's a likable um person that also has leadership capabilities and I think that's going to be an expectation to him and also his ability to defend is uncanny you don't see that much um, especially with how skilled um, most guards are in men's basketball he's one of those guys kind of like they remind you of Nadiri Evans they'll pick you up full court and just stick to you the entire time make life terrible and if you can make the point guards life terrible on the opposing team and and they're the person that gets you in the offense if that happens you know, you don't get an offense, which gives another opportunity for, you know, UNCA to have have chances to score the ball. So him putting that primary pressure on lead guards is going to be big, but then also his ability to handle the ball, handle pressure himself, get downhill, and create for himself and his teammates is going to be needed. And then when you have Jax Letford, uh, Jax is one of those guys 
that is he's one of the most experienced players on the team. All right, when you look at him, he is um, he's gonna he's always in the right spots at the right time. I'm thinking when I first saw Jax, I was thinking I don't I don't get it yet. And then when I saw him play, I'm like, why is he always in the right place? How did he get that rebound and put it back in? How did he knock down three threes in a row with somebody just breathing all over him? Um, how was he able to be in the right place on defense, take charges? Um, he's one of those guys that you figure it out after one game of basketball and seeing it. And once I figured it out, I was just like, okay, this guy is going to be an impactful player right away, one of those forwards that can – you know, defend guards, but also defend post players will be a, a great tandem with Cody Jude, especially if you've got him um, trailing for threes and you've got Cody trailing for threes and they do a lot of slip popping, which one of the things is they'll put a body on you and then relocate to an area where the post player can't get to them. They're going to be a matchup nightmare. Um, and so I think Jats is going to be a big impact for the Bulldogs moving forward, especially with the shooting capabilities. You mentioned Cody Jude, and I see him as one of the, the tallest guards in the country. I know mm-hmm. he's probably going to play a four. Yeah. Um, but he's, his ability to stretch the defense with his mm-hmm. range, I think, is his, his greatest attribute. Oh, man. Cody is – and he's made strides this year as well. So, if you look at Cody from last year, I mean, I don't know. How much does Cody weigh? I know he, he looks like – last year he looked like he may have been a buck 80. I – I'm pretty sure he's put on maybe 10 to 15 pounds this year. They have him listed uh, at 190. Okay. Look at me. Okay. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure he put on 10, 15 pounds, like just looking at him. And his ability now uh, to get downhill and not get pushed off of his straight line drive is a lot better than last year. So when you look at a guy like Cody Jude, who will just spray you for four threes in a row, you're thinking, okay. As a defender, I need to make an adjustment. I can't let him continue to just spray threes in my face because coach is either going to take me out and put somebody else in, and that that won't that'll be detrimental for the rest of the season for me. So def- defenses made adjustments, and so then they would say they would guard him for the three. The closeout was a lot heavier, and then and like I said, there's a thing called man strength. Once you once Cody would put the ball on the floor, he'd get pushed off of his his trajectory or his path towards the basket. And that would make him pick up the ball. It would slow down the offense. It just made things a little bit more difficult for him. And so now, because he's 10, 10 pounds, I'd say 10 pounds stronger, sure. um, and noticing in workouts where he'd give that pump fake, get the defender up in the air, but everybody can can close out and recover quickly. That forearm, that man strength, he eats it. Because now he's a man himself. Have you seen his beard? I have. It's, it's quite impressive. rugged. It is. It's impressive. Quite rugged. Uh, if if we were going to judge off of that, I, I'd feel great about his progress he, over the summer. Yeah. No, he's he's definitely come along. I wish he wore flannels under his jersey. Just wish he did. Is that that can't be? You can't wear flannels. No, Obviously, it's got to be the same color. Right? Yeah. I mean, but what if they did have blue flannel? Like, is that the okay? Don't lie to me. You know all the inside information. Is mm-hmm. there a blue flannel jersey coming out? I don't think so. Okay. Well, okay. I thought I thought what a great way to break the news. Uh, well, I guess we broke the news that there is not. Yep. So. Uh, maybe we set it in motion though. Well, probably not. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of man strength, uh, a man who I don't think I've ever seen pushed off of his line in L.J. Thorpe. That's a big guard. It is. 
I think I think Baller's life has has named him the big guard, um, and that is because the kid he's built like a forward, smooth like. I mean, he kind of reminds me of like a mixture of Jamal Crawford because mm-hmm. he's just he'll mix you. He's got so much sauce. I mean, it's it's wild. Uh, he'll mix you. Um, he can shoot the three. He can get downhill. He can finish in a myriad of different ways um, because of his size, because of his strength. And you don't expect somebody that big, that strong to be that nimble and that skilled and poised. And so he is, I think if he can stay healthy, because I mean, he was, he was injured half of the season, over half of the season. If he can stay healthy based on what I've already seen in workouts, I don't see anybody with the ability to stop him once he gets going. Other than the handshake line. That's about it. And you and you, you grip that hand as, as long as you can. Because then once you let go, your time is up. <laughs> One thing that has impressed me uh, about LJ Thorpe is that when he came in, um, he made an immediate impact into, a, again, a team that was really young and mm-hmm. was riding on the, the shoulders of, of Devon Baker. And and I thought Ty John Jones came in and did a great job. I thought uh, Stephen Adoka came in and did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Cress Worthy really came on towards the, the middle and the end of conference play, I thought. Mm-hmm. I like Cress and, and, and St- Stephen Adoka, who will be really good. And just seeing them, like, Cress has gotten a lot stronger. He's improved his three-point shot, which was needed and necessary uh, to be one of the off-guards, to be able to do all the little things. He was already good at getting downhill, and I think he struggled with the physicality, too, as a freshman, as all freshmen do. Uh, Steven Adoka, with his ability to make it difficult, because he's about 6'5", 6'6", but his athleticism is what separates him. Uh, from a lot of uh, forwards in the Big South. Um, he can take you on the straight line drive. He actually has a nice little finishing package. I've seen him Euro step, Rondo fake, and hop step through um, traffic, which is which is rare. Um, but then he'll dunk on you. And so, you know, you've got a pleasant package of, of offense and defense that he'll be able to present for you. Uh, also being able to alter shots and, and run the floor. And Cress will also be needed to um, start the break, put on-ball defense on, and that's somebody who will also help LeVar Bats as far as putting defense on that primary guard. I've seen them go head-to-head with each other, and they both challenge each other to get better and to be able to deal with worst-case scenarios in games. Trent Stephanie, Jamon Battle, and A.J. McBride are the three freshmen Mm -hmm. coming in. This team really has the pieces that could make up any number of different styles of play. Mm-hmm. As a coach, are you ever cursed with choice? Absolutely not. I mean, honestly, every coach should be in college should be cursed with choice, which means that it creates a more competitive environment um, in practices, which will create honesty where and and lack and nobody's complacent out there you know that your spot is always up for grabs you know that and when you got when you bring in a talented freshman class like Trent Stephanie Jamon Battle and uh, AJ McBride you you 
forced a narrative there where your sophomores have to work. Um, your juniors have to work and your seniors have to work every single day because given the opportunity, they are going to make the best out of the situation, even though they are freshmen. Um, I think that Trent Stephanie has a very solid chance because of the, the so many different things that he can do as far as defend the ball full court. And if you uh, watch when you um, watch this team play, they're going to do a lot more up and down because of the depth on their bench. But Trent Stephanie will be able to pick up full court. He can facilitate. And then his finishing ability in the lane as well as from the three-point line um, is what is going to make it very interesting uh, with the guard play going on for the Bulldogs. And then when you look at uh, A.J. McBride, I think next to Devon Baker is one of their more gifted play, uh, gifted scorers, uh, uh, very similar. Um, and he'll challenge – Devon, he will make Devon better, and Devon will make him better. And uh, then when you look at um, Doc, is what we call him, and uh, Jamon Battle, but Doc, if when you look at him, I watched film on one of the practices with Doc, and what he was able to bring to the table. I mean, it's he's so athletic. I mean, he's a freak athlete, but you know he alters shots. He gets he sees the floor well he handles contact like a champion like he came in with man strength okay he came in with man strength he was getting pushed off the lane and it didn't happen like they were trying to but he was still getting downhill and he was still booming on people um he alters shots he blocks shots he can guard the post he can guard off he can guard the wings he can guard guards and so um he's gonna be a special player for him and um, looking at all three of those freshmen and what they're going to bring to the table, it only makes the team better, but also keeps everybody honest on the floor and and helping them reach their common goal. Like if you are better than what you're competing against in your conference, and that's what you want. You want your second string to be as good as the people that you're competing against. You want your third string to be as good as the people that you're competing against. That way, if somebody does go down, that spot's being filled. But also, every single time that you're practicing, you are preparing to win a game against the next person that you're playing against or next team that you're playing against. I know you and I have talked a lot about positionless basketball. Yeah. Um, and this team, the, sort of the, the, the necessity of being able to do a lot of things well. You talked about the freshman being able to guard not only in the post, but out on the wings to have that speed, that ability. It's basically what I like to call the anti-Eric Snow era, mm -hmm. uh, where instead of being able to do nothing really well, everybody has to be able to do something and pretty much everything really mm -hmm. well. And this team's a great example of that positionless basketball. Yeah. When you were a freshman or when you were in school and you saw a freshman come in what was it like trying to break into the team? And are there any stories about somebody who was successful? Because I know there's some some reluctance, some reticence to to really toss the keys to the freshmen and say good luck uh, last year, uh, notwithstanding. Because I think out of yeah. necessity, yeah. It, it was either that or or I think you and I were going to be starting. Yeah, I think uh, I think with that freshman class, I think that it's tough. It's always tough to break the lineup simply because. Um, those players are very talented, but at the same time, there's so much more that comes with being able to touch the floor. And first, you got to prove yourself. There's levels to it. It's like Mortal Kombat when you go up the ladder every single time you, you go against some, some new test, somebody a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. And um, it until you see Shang Tsung. And so 
when you're when you're there, let's look at the pre the summer, the preseason as that build up. Every single time there's some new test or some new conditioning test. Coach will wake you up in the middle of the or early in the morning and you gotta do something. You gotta still compete. You get two days, three days, and you have to be able to perform and improve the coach, you know, that you can get through it and that you can do it. Then the final test is the actual, you know, the first few games of preseason and uh, non-conference where you're able to see um, how they perform in certain situations. So you'll see more people get more time in preseason and non-conference just to see what, what systems work, what, what rosters work. Then when you get to the actual uh, conference play, that's where, all the, that's where it counts. That's where it's big time. And when you get to conference play, um, that's where you start to see people's time start to dwindle because um, coaches pretty much established what they want out there on the floor. And when you get there, um, at this point, coach is going to go with this lineup and probably stick with it unless something happens. And so for freshmen, I think, and, and you know, obviously, hopefully you get to the conference championship, which is your Shang Tsung. Um, then you win and the credits come on. And um, – and then the secret boss battle is the NCAA tournament? The secret boss battle is the NCAA okay, tournament. Okay, I'm with it. Yep. Um, so after after your – but before all that has to happen, you know, coaches testing those freshmen the entire time. And somebody that comes to mind that that it, remi- it reminded me of a situation like that is Matt Dickey. Matt Dickey was one of those players coming into the actual season that – I think struggled in the preseason, but made it through. Struggled in uh, the non-conference, but made it through. Um, worked hard in practice, um, but it was tough for him at first to break the lineup. And then, you know, we get in the conference play. And a couple of things happen. This is what happens. You have to seize your opportunity. Um, and he really did. I mean, we played against Radford. And um, I can't remember. Somebody got hurt, but he was able to – he finally got his, his number called. And – it got to a point where we had no choice but to put him out there because he was so impactful. He was that piece that we were missing to to start to turn the season around. And Matt, at that point, never gave up the reins again. Um, I think I think once he understood the system and understood what he had to go through, he won every battle. He won the preseason. He won, or he won the summer. He won preseason. He won non-conference. And then, he, you know, obviously history speaks for itself with, you know, me winning, me and him winning my senior year, and then, you know, him and JP going on to win uh, their senior year, and so um, it just it just talks about the the grind that you got to go through every single year, but especially as a freshman, adjusting to that grind can set the tone for the remainder of your years at that institution. And we focus a lot about the grind, talk about two days, the practices, getting into uh, the system down, but mm-hmm. it's beyond that. It, 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 really it really is because you're you're uh, asked to handle time management more oh, yeah. than any point in your life. Mm-hmm. And you've got classes and you've got other expectations. And now you've got essentially a full time exhausting job. Yeah. Um, that's a lot for to be put on the plate of a freshman. It is. It is. And making that adjustment, that transition can be difficult um, and just weighing it all out. And so I think that um, for those freshmen, that's going to be one of the things that um, I'm interested to see moving forward of, of how they respond to it, those levels in Mortal Kombat, hopefully seeing Shang Tsung. 
best case scenario, everybody stays healthy. This men's team's ceiling is. I think they will be able to compete with just about every in every game that they play. Um, if everybody stays healthy and they build, um, they I think will surprise the Big South and have a chance to win it. Um, and that's all you want to be able to do is compete in every single game. And I thought they competed in majority of their games last year. But this year, with the leadership and the experience that they're bringing to the table, I think they will be able to win those games. And every game is going to be a dogfight for them. But I think that they are going to win a lot more. And I think if they come together at the right time, keep everybody healthy, they'll end up – they can win the conference. UNC Asheville women's team. If everything goes right, everyone stays healthy, the team comes together, their ceiling is – Even if they – even if they're not healthy – I mean, Brenda's battle-tested. I mean, <laughs> they can still win it. Um, you can't rule out UNC Asheville. Like I said, I, when I watched and I got to talk to other coaches in the conference, they are feared. UNC Asheville women's basketball is feared, and you just can never rule them out because of Brenda's history, Brenda's pedigree, um, and the type of teams that she's brought to the table in the past. You just can't rule her out. And so I don't care what the circumstance is. Uh, UNC Asheville's women's basketball has a shot. Has a shot. Well, this has been the Bulldog Breakdown for John Williams. I'm Matt Stradley. Let's head down to Ecuador and get one of those flavor grenades you were talking about. Uh, grenadillas. Yeah, that's what I said. The L is uh, – you got to do something special with the L. But, yeah, like we're definitely going to work on getting some in here. So I'll work that on I can share it. with yeah. Administration and staff here at UNC Asheville because they don't. I don't think you tasted it like I tasted it. Like oh, I guarantee you, I didn't. Okay, but I'll work on saying it. You work on getting it. Okay. Uh, next time on the Bulldog Breakdown.